We are starting a brand new series today that will last us from now through the month of July for the entire summer. We're going to be looking at the Psalms. We're calling it Summer Mixtape. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you even know what this picture is on the screen? Anybody? Thank you. Got that? See that? All right. So um, in the Spotify, we're not even in the CD generation anymore. We're in the Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora generation. Back in the olden days, this is how we listened to music right here. Right? That's right. Ben knows. If, anybody, what was the tool? What was the one tool you had to have if you were going to listen to cassette tapes? If the tape started to come out, what did you have to have? A pencil. That's right. Everybody, I saw a couple of you do that. Some of you are bothered right now, by the way. Like, why is it at the end of it? It's supposed to be at the other side. It's just the way the graphic is. I apologize for those of you that are worried about that. If I was really good, if we had really good graphic stuff, it would have been full here. And then every week we went along, it would be a little less. But we don't have the money nor time to do that. So this is what we got. All right. But I remember when I was in middle school... I got a stereo. Anybody remember what those are? Two speakers that were as tall as I was that dad claimed would rattle the windows of Sears. Anybody remember Sears? Like I'm really dating myself now, right? Right? And so, and in that it had a, some of you are going to be really impressed here, a six disc CD changer. With shuffle capabilities between all six, it had still a turntable that would be valuable today if I'd kept it, and a dual cassette deck. Now, you know what the dual cassette deck was good for? Mixtapes. Take your favorite songs and you could put them together. It took hours upon hours if you were doing it right because you had to get... That cut just right. Can I get an amen in the house? Had to get it just right. And before that, before we even had that system, anybody here ever listened to the radio hoping to hear your favorite song and hit record when it came on? Anybody, anybody see, I need a support group this morning. All right. These kids down here are like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Just search it. Right. It was a mixtape, and it was all over the place. I had a, one of my spiritual mentors, a guy named Mike McCullough, who's still a youth pastor in uh, Newburn, Tennessee. Mike McCullough, back in the day, used to make Christian music mixtapes for our youth group so that we would have good music to listen to, and I wore those things out. We made mixtapes all the way, I made them all the way through college, before I started burning CDs, right? That was so much easier. But the idea behind it was you put a variety of songs on there in a variety of ways and you put them in, you had to have just the right order to kind of walk through your whole trip or day. The book of Psalms is a mixtape. It's the song book of the Hebrew people. It's the songs of the people. It was the one they used in worship. It was their hymn book. But it's also literally a group of songs that run the gamut of human experience. One of the things that I think is true and that I kind of experientially have seen is that the book of Psalms becomes more dear to you the older you 
get. And the main reason for that is when you first start reading the Psalms, you have a very limited experience with which to experience many of them. But as you grow older and life kicks you in the teeth, and it will, suddenly some of those Psalms that you didn't get before are precious now. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these human experiences and what they speak to us. I mean, the book of Psalms is filled with despair and discouragement and hope and faithfulness and sin and wonder and the beauty of God's creation and the goodness of God and God's providence for you and the betrayal of those that you love, of anguish and of angst and of ultimate Satisfaction. And this week we're going to start with Psalm 1. The title of this particular psalm for this week is Happy on Our Mixed Day. And the reason is because it asks the question, what does it take to be truly happy? Let me ask you that question. Are you truly happy? It's obviously something people are seeking, are looking for. This week, just as kind of an experiment, I did a Google search. I was going to do a Google search and to see what would come up if I just put in the phrase, how can I be? And the number one Google suggestion that came up was, how can I be happy? Some of the other ones are interesting as well. Some of you are like, I'm sure you're probably just looking up, how can I be prettier? And happy came up first, but that's not the case. How can I be happy? By the way, the internet source, highly reliable, I say with a sense of sarcasm, WikiHow, has a list of how to be happy in life. This is what the world says to us. First of all is be optimistic. Just, just be optimistic. So if your life was a huge mess with no chance of anything turning around, just ignore facts and be happy about it. Second one is just follow your gut. That'd be nice, except the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful above all else and that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to destruction. I thought this was interesting, how to be happy. Own yourself. Don't apologize for who you are. Be yourself because you are awesome. Number four was just make enough money to meet your basic needs. Oh, that's all that takes. Good to know that. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are some of the most unhappy. Five, treat your body like it deserves to be happy. I don't even know what that means. Right? I don't know what that means. If I treated my body like I thought it deserved to be happy, I I can't imagine. I'd eat whatever I wanted to eat and be completely happy. Uh, unhappy. And the last one on the list was just smile. That's how to be happy. Just smile. Psalm 1 gives us the answer to what does it take to be happy? What does it look like to be happy? In fact, the very first word of the very first psalm in the original Hebrew language is the word happy. Now, in this translation, we're going to read in just a moment, they put the word how in there. But the truth is, the first original word in the Hebrew, the way it is, is the word 
ashrei, which means happy. Interestingly enough, that word is used in the Psalms more than anywhere else in Scripture. It's used 45 times in Scripture, and 28 of them are in the Psalms. And since it opens the book, it is an introduction to the rest of the book and the theme of the book. In fact, Psalm 1 introduces some major themes of the rest of the book of Psalms, like the importance of the word of God, the uh, eventual destiny of the wicked, the eventual destiny of the righteous. This idea that there are two ways in life. Psalms is filled with this idea that life is a journey with only two roads. It's an either or life, however unpopular that is today, that there is a right and a wrong and a one way that leads to good. So Psalm 1 starts with this concept of happiness, of being happy. Now let me let me dispel something real quick for you. And this is, a, this is something that I have said before and we've talked about. But in this particular sense, it's not applicable. And that is, sometimes we talk about the difference between happiness and joy. And then in the Christian life, joy is that deep thing that is rooted in whatever is happening. And that no matter what happens in our life, we can be content and joyful because of what God has done for us. And that's true. But the scriptures often use happiness and joy much more closely aligned than we do. We just talk about happiness being a circumstantial thing. By the way, just so you are aware, the word happy that is at the beginning of this, this ashray is the Hebrew form of the word in Greek that is used when Jesus gives his very first major sermon in Matthew chapter 5 called the Beatitudes. And he starts everyone with happy are, blessed are. In fact, your copy of God's word and your translation, if it's not this one, may have blessed is. And so the idea here is this is a formula For happiness. Let's read it together. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteousness over the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So introducing the entire book of Psalms, it gives us this very simple two-path understanding. There is a right way and a wrong way, and the right way leads to happiness. So what does that look like? Three things for us this morning, and then we're done. First of all, we need to know what not to do. We need to know what not to do. It starts, this place starts from a place of, this is what is not beneficial for those that want to be happy. This is not what you want to do. This is not where you want to go. This is not who you want to be. 
Hebrew poetry is famous for its parallelism, that there is this and this, and they're parallel in some way. And what's going to happen here is he's going to tell us what not to do and then what to do, and we'll get to that in a minute. But there's more attention and time and emphasis on the beginning of what we are not to do. And what we see in this passage in verse 1 is descending tragedy in the life of the individual who is not happy. It says the one that is happy does not do these things. The implication there is that if you are not happy, you are. And you notice that there are three words about actions and three understandings of what you're hearing or doing. And then three groups of people that you're doing it with. And so we see this progression from walking to standing to sitting, from advice to the pathway to the company, from the wicked to the sinners to the mockers. And the picture here literally is someone that is falling gradually towards a place of not only living contrary to the word of God, but making fun of those who do. It starts just by walking in the advice of the wicked. The understanding of that literally is being influenced by or listening to those that are not attuned to or living for the Lord. You begin to to believe in their understanding or listen to their advice or listen to what they're telling you. And you begin to take it in. And so it's people that aren't living according to the word of God, that aren't living according to what God would want them to do. And you begin to take their advice and you begin to listen. You begin to understand it a little bit more. And the second thing says, and stand in the pathway with sinners. The original language says, literally says, stand in the way of sinners. And the idea with that is, in our day, if you say, hey, I'm not going to stand in your way, you mean that you're not going to stop them. But standing in the way back then meant you are living the same life they are. And so you move from this place of listening to the advice of those that are not following God's word to doing what they're doing. You're living that life with them. And then the last one is that you are sitting in that seat of those that are scoffing at the people of God. Walking, standing, sitting. You walk by casually listening, casually being influenced. You are in the midst of it, and then you are full on enmeshed in it, having a seat. Think about this on a Saturday afternoon at your house when you know there's got to be work to be done. As long as you're up and walking, there's still a chance it's going to get done. If you begin to stand anywhere in a certain period of time, there's a less chance it's going to get done. And when you sit down in the recliner, it's over. Right? Anybody ever been outside working on these hot summer days and get a lot of work done? I just got to take a quick break and you go in and the air conditioning's on and you sit down and I can wait till tomorrow. Right? Once you sit, you are relaxed. The advice is just listening to what they have to say. The pathway means their lifestyle. You're starting to be engaged not only in their conversation, but their lifestyle. And then the company means that you are one of them. The wicked are just those that don't know any better, that don't know the word of God. Sinners are people that are actively attempting to do the things that God has told them not to do. And mockers are those that are making fun of those who live for the Lord. You see the progression here? One of the things that's kind of become a big deal in our society online and through some popular people, especially social media, 
is this idea of deconstructing your faith. I don't know if you've seen the people that have done this. They're, I mean, famous Christian authors that have done it. A guy named Joshua Harris, who many of you may remember, wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now he's walked away from the faith. A couple of guys that we watch uh, online, they have a show called Good Mythical Morning on YouTube. Rhett and Link, who at one time were supposed to be missionaries and have moved to California. And over the course of about four or five years, they've talked about how they have moved away from their faith. And what's interesting is if you listen to any of those stories, it almost exactly follows the pattern of Psalm 1. They get surrounded in a place or an environment where people don't believe like they believe. They don't believe in the word of God and they begin to listen. Well, maybe, you know, or that person's okay. And they, I seem to like that person and they don't believe that. And they begin to listen and be engaged. And the next thing you know, they're beginning, you know, and then maybe it's not so bad to partake or to do this or to go that way or to be a part of that. And so they begin to involve themselves in that. And eventually they get to the point where they're like, I don't know how anybody could ever believe what I once did. Now, you don't have to look at social media or YouTube stars to see that happen. We've all seen that happen in young people that leave the confine. I mean, the statistics out there of the number of young people that leave the church when they leave high school is troubling. And one of the reasons for that is they go to places. A lot of them go to institutions where there is not anybody there that is espousing a biblical worldview. They're espousing worldviews that are completely against that. And you hear it, you begin to hear it in class and everywhere you go. And the people that you respect and the smartest people you've ever met suddenly don't agree with what you agreed with. You begin to think about that. And all the people that are around you suddenly are acting in a different way. They're living it, whether that's a college campus or you're living in a downtown city. And things begin to change and things are different than what it was. And you begin to engage and involve yourself in that. And before long, you find yourself in a place where not only are you no longer acting like you believe in the word of God, you are openly criticizing those who would believe the word of God at face value. Now, here's what's important for us to understand is that may seem good for a moment, but that is not the path to ultimate happiness. And we have a world that is disgruntled and upset and in despair because they have tried to replace the wisdom of God with the wisdom of men. And one of the things that we have to guard against, have to think about in our own lives, is where are the influences for us coming from? Where are the influences for our families coming from? Where are the influences for our churches coming from? What are we being influenced by? Now, there is no prescription in Scripture ever to remove ourselves completely from everyone else that is not a believer in Jesus Christ. But there are plenty of guards in Scripture about guarding our heart and being careful and not letting their influence enter into us. And so the first step in being truly happy is to know what not to do. You begin to see yourself drifting away from the things of the Lord Begin to listen to the advice of others. Begin to participate in the things of others. And begin to sit in the seat of others. Then you begin to ask the question, how did I get here? Our kids just got back from youth camp. And one of the things that youth camp for me, and why I think as adults, we, get, we need to figure out something. I do adult camp. I don't know how to do that. 
effectively for all of us to leave our lives. But one of the things that youth camp always did for me is every summer it was a time for me to go, oh man, what happened? Like, I was doing pretty well last June, July, August, September, Christmas was good, and then I've just drifted away from the Lord, and it's a recalibration in that moment. I've allowed this influence and that influence and this to pull me away and that to pull me away, and I've got to focus on what I need to focus on. The second thing is not only do we need to know not what not to do, the second thing is we need to know where to focus. You're like, great, we're through verse 1, and we've been here a while. It's going to be a while. We're, we're going to go quickly, all right? Nowhere to focus. Psalm 1, verse 2. Instead, his delight, the word delight there means his joy, his desire, what he wants is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. And I want to uh, debunk a myth here in a minute about the word meditates, all right? Because I know what some of you get in your mind when you think about that. But I want you to see here that you're not focused. And I want you to see how it parallels to the first one. In the first verse, what we not are not to do, it says, don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. Don't be advised by them. Don't walk in their way. Don't sit in their seat. The idea is replace what you're hearing from the world with the truth of God's word. That you have to take that. You can't just get rid of it. You've got to replace it with something. We talked about this uh, a couple of years ago. And we talked about habits in our lives and how we restructure those. You can't just say, or most of us can't just say, I'm just not going to eat those snacks anymore. You've got to replace it with something that you desire and that is good for you. And the reality is that we need to replace the wisdom of the world and those around us that are against God are not on board with the Lord's word, with the instruction of God. And there is no... No substitute for personal devotion to God's Word. Adrian Rogers, great preacher at Bellevue Baptist Church, said about this particular passage of Scripture that if we want to be people that are happy in our life, we need to appreciate, assimilate, and appropriate the Word of God. I didn't really know what all that meant, so I went and looked it up. The idea is that we love it, we make it part of our life, and then we apply it to whatever we're doing. We need to read God's Word. Let me just talk for a minute about the word meditate here. Because most of us, when we hear the word meditate, we get an Eastern religious mindset about what that means. Clearing your mind, sitting in a crisscross applesauce, if you can do that anymore. Your hands up, chanting over and over, meditating. Meditating, thinking, going deep into your own head and your own self and being one with yourself. That's not what scripture means when it says we're to meditate upon it. When it says meditate on it day or night, it means make it part of your life where it is your worldview and your thought process and everything that you're doing in life. Every decision and action and thought that is going in your life is run through the spectrum of what would scripture say about this. Now, you obviously can't do that unless you know it. And so you need to be reading it. You need to be memorizing it. You need to apply it to your life. And so whatever you do, you apply. Whatever you do, you do. Whatever you hear, you do. book of James says, don't be like the man that looks at himself in the mirror and walks away unchanged. That if you read the Word of God, do what it says. Change what it asks you to change. That you pray the Word of God. You pray over what God has shown you. You pray what's there. You find prayers in the Bible and you pray them back to the Lord and you share it with other people. You teach it or you talk to other people or you share it as you have conversations. In order to replace the 
influence of the world on our lives, we have to be influenced by the Word of God. Let me just say, I know for some of you in this room, you know that's exactly what you need to do, but the task is daunting, and what does it look like, and how do I do that? Just start reading a little bit a day. Don't say, I'm going to read through the entire Bible in a month. First of all, we won't see you for a month. But it's unrealistic. Take a chapter of the book of John. Take a psalm. I'm going to encourage you this week, every day, whatever else you do, I'm going to ask you to read Psalm 1 and ask the Lord to show you something new every day about your life in relation to Psalm 1. In fact, this year, or this year, this summer, as we're going through this series of messages, I'm just going to ask you that every week you take the psalm that we talk about on Sunday and you read that psalm once a day for the week after. Write down what it is. One of the most fruitful times in my life came in college when God really began to to, to take hold of my life and begin to move me in some new directions. And I'll never forget, one of the things that happened is I got back from a conference, and this is what they told us at the conference, and this is a suggestion for you as well, to read two or three psalms a day. They're not that long. You can read two or three. And then at the top, take a journal or just take a sheet of paper and write the one characteristic of God that shines through those psalms. And I began to do that. And over the course of weeks, God began to mold my heart as I was reminded again of his goodness and his graciousness and his love and the truth of his instruction. And here's the last thing. So know what not to do, know where to focus, and then this and we're done. Reap the benefits. It tells us the difference between the two. It's not just that they make choices, but it tells us the difference of the two. By the way, there there are people that think that this psalm was behind the closing of Jesus' first sermon on the mount. Do you remember? Blessed is the man who does this. Blessed is the man who does that. And then he begins to list all of the different things. Does anybody remember what parable ends the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 of the book of Matthew? It's about two houses, right? One built on the sand and one built on the rock. Do you remember the difference between those two houses? The one built on the rock were the people that heard the word of God and put it into practice. And the one built on the sand were the ones that heard it and did nothing. They didn't listen to the instruction of God. They listened to the instruction of others. Listen to what happens here. So one was washed away completely, completely done. One was steady and sturdy and right. Here's what it says starting in verse 3. That man, the happy man, the man that meditates on the word of the Lord, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. What it says here, that if you will follow the instruction of the Lord, if you will live for the Lord, then your life will be full of stability. To them, the most stable plant you could imagine was a tree. It was sturdy and strong. And the most stable plant you could imagine was a tree planted by multiple streams. You see, in their day, they would have streams that would dry up during parts of the year. And then other times, flood would come and it would rush in. It says this tree is not planted beside one stream. It's planted beside multiple, always flowing streams. And the picture there is of stability and of vitality and of consistency and of blessing, of fruitfulness. 
It says that if your life is grounded in the word of God, you will always be fed and fruitful and stable and consistent. He compares the sturdiness of a tree to the wicked who are not like this. In fact, in the original Hebrew, it is an emphatic word. It's like not even close to this R. No, not even the wicked R. Like that. They are instead, it says, like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is not a word we use a whole lot anymore. Back in their day when they would be harvesting grain, what they would do, wheat or other grains, was they would do is they would take a pitchfork. And we they would start, you know, pitchforks, those things are just symbolic now. They actually used to use them back then, right? And so you would take it and they would they would take it and toss it up. And as they tossed it up, Whatever was good and right, the grain would fall to the ground. And whatever was useless and of worth nothing would float into the air and be taken away by the wind. Anybody want to guess what the stuff that floated away in the wind was called? The chaff. He says that if you're following the advice of the wicked, you're walking in their way, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, then you are worthless, rootless, useless, lifeless, and unstable. In fact, he says, the wicked won't be able to stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. It says that when the day comes that I'm coming to judge the quick and the dead, the right from the wrong, they will not have standing, nor can they even stand today in the council of the righteous. That picture there literally is a picture of a courtroom scene where people are determined to be guilty or innocent. And in this place it says they have no ability to stand before the judge because they are guilty as charged. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The benefits following the instruction of the Lord are stability and vitality and consistency and blessing an eternal place with Him and an assurance of the life you live even today. Psalm 1 is the beginning of this book and it basically says which way are you going to choose? The way of the world and the counsel of the world and the people of the world Or are you going to choose the way of the Lord? It's often called a wisdom psalm. It's called a wisdom psalm because it sounds a whole lot like Proverbs. It sounds like the wisdom literature of that day basically saying, you have a choice, what are you going to do with it? Now we know that none of us make the right choice in our lives from the beginning. And we needed a Savior who would take care of that. And as a result, we have a desire and a need to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to be saved. But we also know that after that, daily comes a decision of whether we're going to live that day for the Lord or whether we're going to live that day not according to His Word. And the book of Psalms is going to tell us throughout this thing, no matter if it is in times of plenty or in times of want, if it is in times of health or in times of sickness, whatever times you find yourself in, God is worthy of your worship, but more than that, He is worthy of your life. And then we need to follow the way of the Lord. How are you happy? 
You're happy by following the instruction of the Lord and refusing to walk in the way of the sinners or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Our focus is on the Lord God Almighty and His Word. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I'm thankful for this psalm and how it reminds us that there are two ways in life. We either trust you or we can trust the world. Lord, my desire is that we would be a people that would meditate, delight in your word. And that in it all, Lord, that we would give you the glory that you deserve because you have come to us. You have saved us. And not only that, Lord, you have written us a guidebook and an understanding of how we should live. And so, Lord, I pray in this moment, as we respond, that you would just give us wisdom and clarity about what that looks like. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.